Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Rosie. Rosie, would you like to give us a brief introduction of yourself, who you are and what you do as a profession as well? Sure, so I'm Rosie. Um, I have been competing and that's sort of how I know Danny for the last five years now. Um, my journey in competing has been through various federations. I started in BMBF in figure um, and I then competed with UK DFBA um, and more recently, as of last year, transitioned into bikini. Um, and this year will be the first year that I've competed with two bros. So that's exciting. So it's a new federation and a new start from that point of view. Um, from a career point of view, I qualified as a doctor in 2015 um, and I'm currently working in accident and emergency in Glasgow. Cool. So Rosie, in terms of the competing side of things, what actually made you want to transition from figure into bikini? So I kind of fell into figure. Um, I originally didn't know much about competing and I knew that I wanted to find out more so I went to the closest show to me to watch it and it happened to be BMBF in Perth um, and I just loved the way the figure girls looked um, and obviously as you know yourself in BMBF they don't have bikini so I kind of thought you know I'm, I'm wanting to do this naturally I like the way those girls look let's just do that so I almost happened upon figure by accident and genetically I've got, I'm tiny, so I'm five foot one. So my back kind of width is quite big for my height. So it fits quite nicely into that category. Um, and as I progressed through figure, I quite quickly realized that I just wasn't big enough. Um, and every year the girls were just getting that bit bigger. Yeah. And for me, I just, like partially I found it quite difficult to put on size and also I didn't really want to look the way they were starting to look and um, so from my point of view I did a bit of research and went to see a bunch more shows and spoke to different people and started learning a bit more about bikini and what that was like um, and that's yeah so that's that's kind of how it was more kind of what my body was looking like and what I wanted it to look like yeah I think that's how a lot of people end up choosing their category really you know like people will go the opposite way and they'll outgrow bikini because their physique naturally goes that way whereas it's almost been the opposite for you so it makes mm -hmm. complete sense um and obviously during today's podcast we are going to discuss the difference between sort of competing and living a general healthy lifestyle because there are a lot of differences and I think some people get into the sport thinking that they can improve their health whilst doing so which maybe you can to a certain extent during certain phases but not towards the back end of a competition prep so we're going to discuss the differences between those two different lifestyles really yeah and i think it's quite interesting because obviously you as a coach you're a competitor but you also have quite a lot of lifestyle clients yeah and i think there's quite a lot of pressure for you to kind of make it clear that what you're doing isn't what your all of your clients need to emulate yeah and for you to be given healthy advice but then on you know as you're saying at the arse end of a comp prep you aren't taking that advice you're not living a healthy balanced lifestyle you're doing this because it's an extreme goal yeah. and I, I sort of feel similar because obviously I spend my days with patients giving them advice on how to be healthy and there are some days and I'm like, you know, do this, but don't do what I'm doing because what I'm doing is not healthy and not what you should be doing right now. You know, and although you can do it in the healthiest way possible, that isn't the goal of yeah. a conflict. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to recognise that, like you said, um, because I think there's almost a point in prep where the lifestyle stops being sustainable and mm -hmm. that point is different for everybody and there's so much that can influence that such as your genetics um your previous dieting history any medical conditions you might have got or might have not got there are so many things which can influence 
sort of what body composition is sustainable for you and what you can be healthy at and also how much your body can take before it becomes sort of detrimental um so stage lean obviously isn't sustainable as we know and as we've just touched on why actually is that so a couple of different reasons really i think when you look at health it's quite interesting so the who definition of health has recently changed so it's defined as a state of complete physical mental and social well-being and not just the absence of disease and i think that's quite important because being stage lean i mean physically you're not at your prime because we need body fat don't we especially as females that's where we keep our hormones we use it for energy and you just feel a wee bit better when you're not absolutely ripped. And also kind of for joints and things like that, having a bit of fat and a bit of something to lubricate is important. So physic physical health is out, out the window for most of us when we're very lean. Not so much for men, um, but they obviously have a different hormone pathway to us. Mental, I don't know about you, but when I'm very lean, I can get quite snappy. So. I can be absolutely fine one minute and then they'll have run out of, I don't know, my favorite dishwasher powder in Tesco and I'll absolutely lose the plot. And I know that I'm not, you know, mentally in a great place. So that's not great. And also I think mental well-being, and it'll be interesting to hear your perspective on this, but as you get leaner, your perception of yourself changes. Yeah. And when you look in the mirror, it can give you some quite bad negative emotions yeah. and, and independent of what you actually look like. Yeah, I think it's that it's almost that constant analyzing your own physique, especially obviously I've been through periods of coaching myself as well. And especially mm -hmm. when you're coaching yourself and you're constantly analyzing your physique you have to really be able to take a step back from that and look at yourself objectively rather mm -hmm. than getting caught up in your own emotions and when you are analyzing your physique so frequently it can be very easy to just start to focus on the negatives and picking yourself apart and focusing on what needs to improve or which parts of your body need to be leaner rather than actually giving yourself some respect and looking at things as they actually are and sometimes exactly. people's view of themselves can become a little bit distorted uh -huh. you don't have that wide angle lens that you normally have on your life thinking you know like i've had a really crap session or a really bad day at work but actually a week's been okay you lose that and you're very caught in that moment and i noticed as well for you that you were talking about aj taking over your fat loss phase and actually you need that sometimes for somebody to have that view on your life so they're kind of looking down on you because you're in this little sort of pit of help me, the scales have gone up and, you know, I'm an awful person because of this. And you need that person to almost look over and chaperone you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mentally healthiness and leanness, I don't think go together. And socially as well, um, it, it depends what you, how you normally socialize, but for the majority of people, living a fairly normal lifestyle. Socializing will innately involve food. I mean, Brits love to eat, we all do. And you know, whether that's a barbecue, whether that's a wedding or going out for drinks, all of those things will involve food, which you, know, you are controlling, it's part of the process. Yeah. And especially for me, my first couple of preps, I didn't feel I could attend any events at all because I was terrified that you know, what if the Diet Coke they give me isn't a Diet Coke? Or, you know, what if I'm five minutes late for my meal? Or, and I'm much better now and it doesn't really impact me. But when I was in my first couple of preps, it was very, very restrictive and I found it really difficult. And with colleagues and things as well, you become quite guarded about what you're doing because you're so focused on sticking to your plan that socially, it can come to the end of your prep and all those people that were supporting you at the start thinking you go for it are like actually you've been an arsehole for the last six months so you know why should we support you 
And I think if you take that definition into account, then you could not say that, you know, being lean is conducive with health, although there are healthier ways to do it, I think. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, there are there are both ends of the spectrum and the approach you take can determine quite how detrimental a competition prep is to your health or how far away that prep is from being healthy. And one thing that I've always been really fortunate with is when I first got into competing, I was quite lucky in that when I first started with a coach, they were a really good coach. And we we worked with a relatively flexible approach to nutrition as opposed to then giving me a set meal plan. So from the get-go, I've never excluded any foods. I've never demonized any foods and I've always gone to social occasions and just been flexible with it or taken my own food as opposed to fearing those occasions and fearing certain foods and potentially demonizing certain foods which as you know can lead to a really bad relationship with food further down the line if you do that so I've been really fortunate in that respect but not everybody is that fortunate and there are a lot of coaches out there which may not they may not prioritize your health quite so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And also it's getting used to your body feeling really uncomfortable because when you get lean, it's not just, you know, I'm a bit cold and a bit tired. It's that feeling that you can't ever get a pump in the gym, that the weights feel really, really heavy and that you sit on the sofa at the end of the day and you think I need to get up to let the dog out and I physically can't think of anything worse. And it's that huge dream because your body's fighting to conserve the energy that it's got left because it thinks like, I want to survive this and you are just not treating me very well. This isn't very nice. And it's learning that, that, that you aren't going to die, that actually that's part of the process and that's a probably a sign that you're getting lean enough but again, for a lifestyle client, you'd be quite concerned if they were too tired at the end of the day to, you know, speak to their partner or take the dog for a walk to think, okay, something's not quite right here because we're trying to get you healthy and we're not aiming for this, this physique, which, you know, maybe you and I get when we're a couple of days out from a show, that isn't your goal and you don't want to feel like we're going to have to feel and I don't want you to feel like that. And it's trying to explain that to people in a way that, you know, makes it quite understandable. Yeah. And I think part of the misconception comes from like, obviously social media and people seeing, I don't know, news articles, pictures of competitors. And when we're on stage, we, we look quite healthy. We've got our makeup done. We've got our hair done. We've got a tan it could be like it could be perceived that we are healthy when we step on stage very easily by people that don't know too much about the sport and I think that's part of the issue with general population clients people that aren't interested in stepping on stage thinking mm -hmm. okay I'll just follow the same protocols as x y and z because they've made great progress with their body composition and they look fantastic when they step on stage but mm -hmm. actually the actions that need to be taken to get to the end goal are very different and need to reflect each each client's end goal and people need to be more aware of what actually goes into competing and how detrimental it can be to your health yeah, Rose, exactly. you mentioned hormone health what yeah. traditionally obviously a lot of people who are listening maybe not everybody will know that it is possible to lose your menstrual cycle during a contest prep how common is this? And is this something that you experience yourself? So I am a wee bit different because I have um, long lasting contraception, which is a coil, which makes me amenorrheic. So I don't have periods, basically. Yeah. But having said that, I do still get my hormones tested throughout a prep because I do still have fluctuations of my hormones. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I just did that for anyone that's not watching. <laughs> um, and I make sure that they are in a healthy range. What I can compare it to is I previously, about 10 years ago, suffered with anorexia. And at a certain weight, I lost my cycle. And in recovery, 
it was about two kilos over that weight that I then got it back. So I almost had to overreach my weight and my body fat level to get that back. And it's twofold. It isn't just about weight um, and body fat. It's also about stress in the form of psychological stress um, and physical stress. And that can be an increased workload in your workplace. And that can also be an increased workload in your gym or in your relationship. So you hear of girls that haven't lost any weight but have had a really awful time with a partner and they haven't had a period for six months. Because basically, in, a, in the most simple of terms, your body to have a period wants to be in this nice wee safe place that thinks you could look after a baby. Yeah. And if your head is away somewhere else, you're very stressed, you're not sleeping, your nutrition isn't great, your body's like, I don't want to trust you to look after a wee baby because, I mean, that's a terrible idea. You've got a lot on your plate just now. So it's almost a way of keeping you safe. Um, and it's kind of telling you that you're not up for carrying a child. I know it's not everyone's goal right now, but that's quite a basic way of thinking about it without going into all the biochemistry of it. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it that way, of course, if you are stage lean, focusing on that as your goal, ticking all your boxes, probably not sleeping great, waking up early to do your cardio and things, your body isn't going to be like, cool, let's get pregnant, great plan, let's do that right now, because it's got a lot else going on. Yeah. And I think, I think girls, especially post-show, I've had chats with various girls who've kind of come to me for advice, and they're like, right, okay, I've increased my food by 100 calories, and I've dropped one of my cardio sessions and I've put on two kilos and I still don't have my period back. And you're like, no, of course you don't, because yeah. you're still doing a huge amount more than your body can recover from, even though to you it feels like, oh, this is easy. And also, like I mentioned earlier, there's a massive, there's so many different things which can influence your susceptibility to like losing your menstrual cycle. So some, mm. some people might, maintain their menstrual cycle function throughout an entire contest prep whereas mm. others may lose it as soon as they enter a deficit mm. and it's not always you know you'll sometimes see coaches almost bragging that a client has maintained their menstrual cycle throughout contest prep but it's not there are obviously things that you can do to make a contest prep as healthy as possible, but it's not always down to the contest prep. Sometimes it can be down to other factors as well. Uh -huh. And it's down to the client's physiology. And I don't think any coach has a place to say, like, congrats to me, my, my client's still having a period, because actually what they are doing might be beneficial to some degree, but actually so many factors are independent and out of the coach's control that on the other side, I don't think coaches should feel horribly guilty if a lean female doesn't have her period when she's in prep, because actually you're doing what you can to get her to stage. You're not there to get her fertile. That isn't, you know, what she came to you for. So having all this guilt, and there's a lot of it on social media as well, you know, that isn't what you, this person's paying you for. And if, if it is, they're paying the wrong person, aren't they? Yeah. And going back to the differences between a general population client and a competitor. So obviously this happens in the, the bodybuilding world. People lose their menstrual cycle whilst they're going through a contest prep. But should this really happen with someone who isn't interested in competing? Um, no, it shouldn't. But like I said, any change which is stressful to your body and mind can make your periods erratic. Yeah. So if somebody is completely new to training and takes up a fairly intense load of activity, loses a fairly large percentage of body fat, or even is just more active and eating very differently to before, it's a lot of stress on the body and it, it may well cause transient amenorrhea which usually does settle. Our bodies are fairly resilient. The problem is if you've gone for quite an extended period of time without a period, that's probably when you should have a think about things. But certainly, I mean, you see women have erratic periods when they change job, independent of other factors, or when they break up with a boyfriend. 
And it is a normal stress response because for us to have a healthy hormone response, we need to be in quite a good mental and physical state. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I was like having a wee look at this. So a lot of competitors online are now calling themselves athletes. Like I am an athlete. And the definition of athlete is um, somebody who competes for a prize and it comes from Greek. And if you look at how much use that word has had since like the 1900s, it's come up in a huge spike. And there's a huge dichotomy between people who are looking to be healthy and now calling themselves an athlete. And actually, what is separating those people? I mean, if you want to be an athlete, that usually means that you are pursuing an extreme goal and going to be judged and you're competing on that. And a lot of people that just like going to the gym are now trying to embrace this lifestyle, which actually might not suit them and might not be what's best for their body or what they really want. And I'm sure that you have had enough clients come to you saying, you know, I want to compete because these girls look amazing. And have you had experiences of saying, you know, actually, is this what is right for you? Yeah. Yeah. I've even stuck like, um, obviously I won't name any names whilst I'm saying this, but I have had the odd client who I've started a contest prep with and then said, look, this is not right. Let's put the brakes on it. This is not the right goal for you. And then we've come out, we've come away from that contest prep. And it takes a really honest, objective eye to do that. And not everybody would do that, but sometimes it's what needs to be done for the client's best interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like you uh, said, some people will get into the sport thinking it's thinking it's a goal that they want to pursue but in reality it's not right for them or it's not right for them at this moment in time at where they're at in their life because their conditions have to be right to pursue a contest prep effectively without seeing long-term damaging effects to their mental or physical health i agree and it's it's almost like people it's the difference between starting a couch to 5k plan and trying to run a marathon in the olympics like they are very different processes but both people call themselves a runner and so there's this all these blurred lines in the middle of where is this person sitting on the spectrum and actually do they want to run a 5k or are they wanting to compete in the olympics because how am I going to coach them? Like, where am I? What advice can I give this person? And I think because of the rise of social media and how how much is out there about bodybuilding, and it is quite an easy entry level. You know, you don't have qualifying times to run. You don't have all these strict criteria of entry. Anyone can really do it, like a couch to 5K. And then suddenly they find themselves on this path that maybe wasn't really what they intended to do. Yeah, I completely get that. And like, you know, like we've said, because it has its negative effects to health, it has to be the right goal for you to pursue. And you have to know that and be aware of that, because if not, you'll end up getting yourself into trouble further down the line or maybe regretting the decision to get into competing if you didn't realize it is what it is Mm -hmm. have you ever just out of interest throughout your competing journey have you ever had kind of seasons or preps that you have regretted or thought do you know what maybe i shouldn't have done that prep the the man so i did three seasons back to back i did 2016 2017 2018 And that last season, I should have waited. But I actually, I started with a coach at the beginning of that season. And I said to that coach when I started up with them, I think I should take this year as an improvement season. I want to work with you through an improvement season and then compete in 2019 as as my last year as a junior. I want to take this season out and then compete. And they said, you've got a lot of potential you're still a junior I think you should just go for it this year so then I was like okay 
maybe I should. So I kind of went into it, but in my head, I almost knew that I wasn't ready for a prep just yet. And again, going back to it has to be the right moment in your life to pursue a contest prep and not see huge negatives as a result of that. And 2018 wasn't the right time for me to go into a prep, but I just did it anyway. And I probably should have put the brakes on that. But as a result, I didn't diet all the way until the British. I actually stopped my season in August, whereas I usually would have carried on and prepped until like October time. So yeah, that was the season where I just pushed it that little bit too far, that third year back to back. Mm-hmm. Have you? I think yes, very much so. So the only one that I regret, well, I don't regret it because I probably wouldn't have done anything differently. But looking back, it was a chaos of a prep. So I'd found out, I think it was 2018, that I needed major bowel surgery for a genetic bowel condition. Um, and I also had an invite to BNBF British finals. And I thought, if I can just push through to finals, I'll have my surgery week after, that'll be fine. But obviously the symptoms I was having got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that I was just constantly in pain. I couldn't absorb properly the diet that I was eating. I was very lean. Um, and I, I remember standing on stage thinking I was just gonna pass out. And then going in for surgery, which was about a five-hour surgery the, the week after. Um, <laughs> it was just, but then there was this part of me that just thought, you know, because I didn't know if I could train after I had the surgery. If I don't do this, what if I can never compete again? Yeah. You know, what if I can never compete? And it was certainly not healthy. And it was not the advice that I would give anyone else. But I don't regret doing it because it. whenever I feel I'm having a bad day, I just think, well, it wasn't as bad as 2018, so you're fine. But, you know, you live and you learn. I think for me, recovery-wise, it would have been much better not to do that show and just to kind of take some downtime. Yeah. Um, but you'll know yourself, if you get fixed on a goal, it's very, very difficult then to step back. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so important for people that are new to the industry and maybe thinking about competing to to ask a coach's opinion at minimum or or start working with a coach ideally because sometimes you need that sensible person to just be like you know this is the time where you should you know if you get the right coach like I said I started up with a coach and they suggested that I compete but um if you really do your research and start up with the right coach they will give you their honest opinion and they will do what is best for you at each moment in time and be that rational that rational thinker for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. and so once um someone has gone through a contest prep and they might have seen some of the negative effects to health which we may experience such as the loss of their menstrual cycle would you there's a lot of sort of hype around getting bloods done at the moment and they definitely have their place but when would you actually get bloods done through a contest prep and then post show and what would you look for rosie so it's interesting and i think it really depends firstly if you're natural or assisted i think the whole blood work hype did come partially from the assisted cohort of competitors and blood work in that cohort of people is more important because a lot of the drugs they're taking are metabolized by the liver so they have direct effects on the liver they've got direct effects on the heart they can make your heart very big and they can make your hemoglobin levels very high which can be dangerous and they also have a direct effect on your healthy and unhealthy cholesterol so they basically tip the balance and make you more likely to have more unhealthy cholesterol, which we know is a cardiac risk factor. So I think that is where initially a lot of the blood work hype on social media came from, because actually these people are using their blood test results to monitor their drug doses and things like that. For a natural female cohort, for me personally, I usually get them done at the start of a prep. I then get them done about halfway through and I know you've had issues with this as well. I look at my thyroid because I've got a family history of thyroid disease. 
your thyroid does get suppressed when you diet anyway, so that is normal, but you want to check that it isn't getting too low. Um, and I do also have a look at my hormones. Yeah. And then I usually leave it about a month or six weeks after I've finished my prep to then recheck my bloods when my body weights up a bit and I'm a bit less stressed. And I think there's also, there's something to be said for having a really good think before you get your bloods done. Firstly, do I know how to interpret what I'm reading? And if I get back something that says this isn't healthy, am I going to change anything I'm doing? And am I going to stop my prep? Or actually, will it just make me feel bad, but I'll keep prepping anyway? Yeah. Because if you're just going to think, oh, my liver isn't very healthy, but my show's in six weeks, so then what's the point in you getting that blood test done? Because actually it's not changing what you're doing. It's a bit like it's a bit like natural people when I see them monitoring their blood sugar. And it's like, if you're feeling really hungry, your blood sugar is probably a wee bit low. And if you aren't using insulin, then you know you need to eat a meal and you know that you're not going to because you're dieting. So what are you trying to find out? You know, and it's it's almost like this culture of, oh, this is a new thing I can buy. This might be helpful, I'll buy it. But then not actually understanding or thinking about how I'm going to piece this into my plan because I have no idea what it means. And that I find quite frustrating. And I try not to get like kind of comment on when I see things online that annoy me like that because I'm sort of like, you know, that makes you happy, then do it. But you've got to be practical and think about, will my information change my plan and my outcome? And yeah. if it's not going to, should I be collecting it? And again, this is another point on how people who aren't interested in competing don't need to go to the same extent as competitors and as a result of that don't need to monitor the same thing so coaches that are coaching both competitors and non-competitors need to really make sure that they take a client-centered approach and an individual approach for each person mm -hmm. rather than just applying everything to everybody which i think some people easily get into and I think it can be easy, easy for people to see things like you said that are almost hyped up a little bit on social media and be like, oh, I want to start measuring my, my blood glucose. Do you know what I mean? When actually it's not relevant for everybody. So people need to understand why they're doing things and if it's appropriate for them as opposed to just doing something because it's hyped up. And that could apply to competing or checking your blood glucose. It applies to anything, but people really need to be aware of why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think as well, as you, as you have a bit more experience in competing, you get a bit more of a growth mindset and less of a fixed mindset. So when I started out, I thought if I didn't have my perfect meals and my training, you know, all the machines in this order and things, then I would never make progress. When actually now I'm like, if I can hit these movements with enough frequency, I can get these calories in, in this time window, you know, cause I work a lot of funny shifts at all, you know, every week is different. Some days it's days, it's nights, it's kind of disco shifts, which are like 4 p.m. till 2 a.m. And I have to piece everything around that. And if I wasn't able to do that and think, do you know, it's okay because I'm still going to progress. I'm getting all the basics covered and that's fine. Then I would just absolutely lose the plot. Yeah. And it's learning that that kind of pattern of getting everything done will look different from, for everyone because some competitors have kids, some competitors are carers, some competitors work two jobs. And, you know, you can't say you've got to do your cardio at this time of day and then you've got to these are your meal timings because actually their life might be a bit more complex than that. And so it's understanding that you have to be open to working with your client to make that possible for them to hit all of those, you know, bits that they need to in the week without them feeling like a bad person because they can't do their cardio at 6 a.m. because they're working or, or whatever. Because um, that's the only way that you can actually progress because no period of your life 
really is going to be that predictable. Yeah. And even more so with non-competitors and there's so much more flexibility for those people as clients, because obviously someone who commits to a bodybuilding show, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to be somewhat extreme at some extent to some extent towards the end of a contest prep whereas somebody who has not got a goal so extreme a non-competitor has so many more priorities in their life that come above changing their body composition and Mm -hmm. as a result of that their methods can reflect that goal being so much less extreme. And I think it's really important to recognize that non-competitors, you guys can have so much more flexibility and make progress. You're not trying to get stage lean and you don't have a fixed end goal as such. You might have a photo shoot or something like that, but you don't have um, an extreme goal such as stepping on stage at on the 12th of September or whatever. So you can afford to be so much more flexible and there's no downsides to that. And there are actually benefits to being flexible, such as including a wide variety of foods in your diet and not just sticking to the same foods day in and day out and being flexible with your methods of cardio, including different training styles. There are actually benefits to that. Mm -hmm. And there's also a huge sense of satisfaction, I think, from showing somebody that actually they can still enjoy time with you know their boyfriend or girlfriend time with their family go to events and still progress and still learn and still change their body for the better without having to have this really fixed rigid plan and i agree with what you're saying i mean for me and you both we're now approaching however many weeks out and life is quite fixed you know there's a lot of boxes to tick every day but we are both quite like committed to that and we're quite used to it and understanding that actually giving somebody a handful of boxes to tick in a week and letting them choose how to fit it around and them then feeling like do you know what I decided to do this and this and this and I got this result and I feel great is really really positive yeah I completely agree. And um, in terms of the the competing side of things, would you, do you, have you taken many improvement seasons between your competitive seasons, Rosie? So my last, I've only done one proper one, which was over Christmas. Um, But Apart from that, not really. I have sort of competed back to back since about 2015, which is also something I would not advise. And that was also part of the reason that I wanted to transition to a different federation, because I found with BMBF, between the finals and the Scottish qualifier, which was usually the one that I wanted to do, mainly because it's so close to me and it's a lot kind of easier for me to get to. And it's such a great venue. It's just beautiful. there really wasn't much time. I think it's, is it May or June, maybe? Yeah. The Scottish show. And the qualifier, the, sorry, the finals was maybe late October. It was around that time. And it, that's not enough time to even recover from a show, let alone start getting into a healthy improvement season. Um, and because I did that for quite a lot of years, I really lost that time which I think is crucial, not just from a kind of a body standpoint and a muscle building standpoint, but going back to what we said before about physical, mental and social well-being, it's trying to get a wee bit of that back and a bit of normality, whatever we mean by that, back into your life. Yeah, and again, I think it's it's really important through an improvement season to re-establish some of that flexibility that non-competitors can have and can enjoy um, so that you, you don't sort of struggle so much when, because at the end of the day, none of us are going to compete for our entire lives. There's going to come a point where you transition away from bodybuilding to some extent. Yes, you might still resistance train and work to develop your physique, but we're not going to be stepping on stage forever. So 
you've actually got to think sometimes beyond bodybuilding rather than getting so caught up in where you are right now. And I think having those improvement season phases to reestablish a bit more flexibility, work on other aspects of life, even just recognize the fact that you are more than just a competitor is so beneficial and will make that transition away from competing eventually a lot easier for people. I think, yeah, I think that's completely right. And also, you know, having, having your, your core values as a pie chart, really, which just shifts throughout the year. So yes, I'm a competitor, but I'm also a girlfriend. I'm also a career person. I'm also a daughter. I'm also a dog mum. You know, I'm all of these things. And depending on which season I'm in, different ones will take up different room on the pie chart. And that's okay, because they all still matter to me. But it's allowing yourself to let those lines just move a wee bit. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I need to miss my session tomorrow, but I'm going to take the dog up around the reservoir and it's gorgeous up there. And that'll be a really nice day. And that'll mean a lot to my partner. And, you know, that's that's positive, too. And obviously you can't do that when you're close to a show, you're like, I need to get to the gym. Then we can try and do everything else and try and go to bed at a reasonable time. But it's allowing your, yourself to have that outward focus like we talked about before and step back and think, okay, you know, if I was one of my friends, what would I say to me? You need to have a look at what means something to you. Because at the end of the day, like your life isn't just, to be observed it's not just somebody looking at you and thinking you look great it's for you to live so you actually you have to enjoy it it has to mean something to you and if it doesn't and you're just doing it because you want to look great in a bikini or you want you know loads of likes on instagram then you're never gonna get there yeah so rosie what would you say are sort of the main differences between say a lifestyle fat loss phase and a competition prep i think like you were saying before the flexible approach so working in a flexible way i think is fairly doable for a fat loss phase because you can just you know give your clients some off-plan meals that they can enjoy with maybe some rules around them so have you know a fist-sized portion of protein and half your plate is veg or whatever um, and two glasses of wine not two bottles on a Saturday um, and move a bit more so go for a wee walk on your lunch break park a bit further away from work try and go to a couple of classes and the gym if the gym is what you like in a week and that actually is a lot more doable for someone than what we do which is I mean at the moment set cardio set steps set sessions and set checking days, set meals, you know, all of that, which is a lot easier or makes your prep a lot easier, I think, having it all kind of planned out. But if you were to give that to a lifestyle client, their feeling of failure after two weeks at their check-in when they'd done 50% of what you said and they were tired and they were starving and the night before they'd gone out and got two pizzas and two bottles of wine because they felt terrible, is going to be so great and it's going to put them off and it's going to think it's going to make them think firstly I'm still unhealthy and secondly health isn't something that I can achieve yeah which is the opposite of what any good coach should be making a client feel like yeah and for for a non-competitor you know your protocols and your end product should be sustainable whereas a competitor it's a short-term goal. There's an end date. And the goal is actually to regain some body fat after that. We're not trying to sustain stage lean. And I think that's a really important thing to recognize because that will reflect the protocols which you take to get there. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we were talking about before, like you would not ask an Olympic athlete to perform at the Olympics every single day. You yeah. wouldn't say run that race to your standard every day because they can't they can do it a couple of times a year maybe and good competitors can compete to their highest standard maybe a couple of times a year and then they need that time in between to recover and train and get their body ready and actually a lifestyle client should be able to do their sessions and eat their meals week on week and find it quite enjoyable 
maybe they'll be a bit hungry at the start and quite tired and some days they'll be stressed out because they can't do a certain exercise but it should fit into their lifestyle it shouldn't be this extreme oh my goodness I have to do this in the morning feeling all the time and what questions so say someone was thinking about competing they've never competed before what questions would you recommend that they actually ask themselves before deciding that competing is a right goal for them I think a big one for me before I ever started competing or knew what it was I loved training before I had social media I just I loved lifting I loved training and I've been training for a couple of years so I think firstly ask yourself do you actually like training in a bodybuilding style um, because I don't know if you feel like this but there's some days on prep that you go into train and you think do I even like training am I even good at training this is awful I'm so tired and if you don't have that deep-rooted love of it from the get-go you're definitely not going to have it by the end yeah so I think what's your relationship like with the gym what's your relationship like with food so have you got past history of having eating disorders or a really restrictive mindset and are you doing this because you want to lose weight because there's much easier ways to lose weight where people aren't going to look at you in your pants at the end you know so I, I don't think you can go into it as I'm doing this for a diet because trust me there's much easier diets to do than a bodybuilding prep yeah um do you like who you are now and are you only doing this because you want to like who you are at the end and I think if you don't like who you are before you start training and before you start a prep and you know you're respectful of your goals and your wishes then it's you're really going to struggle if you're only going to like yourself when you're stage lean and looking all glam with your makeup on then you're only going to like yourself for one day a year and I mean that's quite sad isn't it yeah and so for competitors what can they do throughout a contest prep and then post-show to try and minimize the negative effects to health that they might experience? I think um, a big one for me is putting time in my calendar where I don't have my phone and I spend time with either a friend or um, a boyfriend and my dog or my family outside of the competing world is really important and it really grounds you and Scott and I like will go off for a walk and you know neither of us will have our phone and it's just time to talk about our days and time to see how he is how I am because often with work we don't get much time together and then I'm training and I feel like I'm not there enough so that's a big one making sure you keep relationships healthy even when you don't really feel like it and um, that's quite important and other things you can do, I mean, in terms of supplements, making sure you take a good basic range of health supp supplements into your prep, I think is a must for everyone. Um, and getting a coach that will advise you properly on that. Um, other things you can do to stay healthy. Do you know a big one for me is actually being mobility. So on my rest days, um, what I do for my rest days at the moment is a kind of wad style cardio session and I'll then do yoga yeah. so I'll do like 20 minutes of yoga um, usually some kind of YouTube yoga and the difference it's made to my posing and my joints is incredible I hadn't realized how firstly how difficult it is and secondly how flexible I am so making sure that you are stretching and looking after your muscles and also recovery, whatever that means to you. So for me, that's usually like a really long hot bath and reading my book or watching some YouTube and putting that time in like you would a training session. So, okay, that's the night that I'm doing that. And I think if you can keep doing all those things throughout your prep and trying, trying your best to make that time, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. What have you found beneficial throughout the years or what do you do now that you didn't used to to help yourself sort of mentally throughout your prep i honestly think one of the biggest things for me is through my up until now actually this is the first season i've been working online so mm -hmm. 
I used to be a one-to-one PT and I literally used to wake up at like 4.45 in the morning and go straight to work and start training clients. And a massive game changer for me, this prep, I'm not going to lie, is just taking like half an hour for myself at the start of each day before I go and serve other people and go through my check-ins and go about my daily life and work. So when I wake up in the morning, I now, similar to what you were saying about the yoga actually, is I go through a bit of a stretching routine, just something I've made up myself mm-hmm. and just have like five minutes to myself, go through a stretching routine. I do some vacuuming mm-hmm. and some deep breathing and I then have a coffee before I start serving other people and before I start my work. And that to me has made a massive difference to my clarity throughout the day and just my, my, my whole mood as I go through the day because I'm starting on such a positive note. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. And actually in the mornings until I won't look at my phone until after I've got up and done my cardio or my walk or whatever it is, let the dog out, fed the dog, had my shower. And because I'm quite similar to you in that my job is very full on. The minute my feet hit the floor in any, I am for my patients and I'm serving patients and I'm with them all day. And especially during COVID, quite a lot of that is quite dramatic. It's quite emotionally taxing. Um, and you're constantly reacting to your environment. And having that time that I'm not reacting to anything is really, really important. And I actually, it's funny because like you, I never used to do it. And I used to, you know, get up, look at my phone, crack on with everything. And actually now I get quite annoyed if I get interrupted in the morning because I'm kind of yeah. like, I didn't let I didn't let you in. You're not invited to this like half hour of me time, you know, because without that, I find it hard to give all of myself to everyone else. Yeah. Because I haven't quite woken up yet. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think it just helps to set your day up for success and have yourself feeling so much clearer because Mm -hmm. yeah when I rush into things and like you said I'm reactive if I look at social media and then I I don't know I get pissed off at something that I've seen then it just Mm -hmm. starts your day on a negative note and I feel much better when I take that first little bit of my day to just to just sort of be if that makes sense. And I also find if I don't do that and somebody asks me a question and I'm in a bad mindset, then I won't give them the answer that I wish I would have given. I'll give them something quite snappy and quick. And actually it's a reaction. It's like a reflex. And it's almost like part of you being like, oh, go away. Like my head's in a mess. And it's not who you really want to be. It's just a result of how you're feeling. Yeah. when you work with people you can't let that happen yeah I completely agree with that and you can't I always remind myself like you can't look after people and serve people to the best of your ability unless you look after yourself like it just doesn't happen so Mm -hmm. that for me is really important when it comes to my work Um, But thank you so much for joining us today, Rosie. It has been a really insightful episode. Where can people find you on social media? So I'm Dr Pixie Lifts on Instagram. Um, And I don't think I've used Facebook since like 2009. So (laughs) Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Cool. (laughs) I will tag Rosie in the comments down below for anyone who is interested Um, But thank you so much for joining us and good luck for the rest of your contest prep. Not at all. And you too.